Dr. Gus, we're back today and we're going to be talking about just some good basics. And I'm really excited about part of this too, which is the breath. We're going to be talking about air and water and two things we can't live without. And we do have the fortunate uh, ability to make healthier than what they otherwise would be. So it's kind of cool. And I think especially the air one, a lot of people don't realize, uh, oh, bless you, speaking of air there, uh, these are some things that I think are, that we kind of take for granted. I know that I do a lot. So you tell me, where do we start air or water? Which, which would you like to start with? I wanted to start with water and then move to air. If that's good. good. Yeah. And I, I was thinking through our series and, uh, and how we're trying to work through these foundations and really they're not elementary, but on some level, they're elementary. They're, they're first principles of how you maintain a healthy body. And that if you skip them, you're going to, uh, you're going to end up missing out. Like adding in all the next level biohacks and botanical therapeutics and peptides and not attending to these things we've been discussing is going to end up not, you know, you're not going to get the results you were hoping to get. And I was, as I was doing the inventory and kind of where we're going to go next, and we have several topics that just kind of dawned on me. You know, how about air and water, the two things that if you're not uh, attending to properly, it can really knock you out quick. And so I thought, let's let's do give people a, a basic primer on hydration, including some discussion on electrolytes and minerals and breath and how powerful breath is to impact our moment to moment health. I think that's a fantastic idea. And. So as it relates to, and one of the things I would really like to take away from this is just a good, simple, you know, I'm going to go to the, the Tim Ferriss motto. If this were easy, what would it look like? And so when it comes to water and having good water that is healthy, it, and first of all, maybe like what electrolytes are, what proper, proper mineral structure, what that is, but I just wanted to keep it like a simple baseline in my home at all times to stay properly hydrated. What does that look like? Because I guarantee you this audience, a lot of them are just like me. They have been, they have been raised to believe that eight, eight ounce glasses of water. And that's, that's what, that's what I need to do. I need to shoot for every day, not, not being mindful of where the water comes from, not being mindful of what's in the water, all those sorts of things. So let's just start there, making sure that it's very actionable for people, but then also I would be grateful if you define some of the terms like what electrolytes are, why are they important? And some of the things that you and I both use in our waters, I know that um, I use Element. That's kind of become my favorite electrolyte powder. Why are some better than the other? Talk about some of them have sugar. Just kind of give this audience an understanding of hydration and the different things that make up proper hydration. Yeah. Well, you've already pointed to the first one, um, and we discussed it in detail in Toxicant, so we won't go too far on that one. The, the first principle is that whatever you're drinking is non-toxic. And so that means that the beverage, whatever it is, whether it's coffee or tea or some type of sparkling beverage or just pure water has been filtered, that it's not, that it doesn't have the heavy metals and glyphosate and other contaminants, the hydrocarbons that are so prevalent now in our water supply and pharmaceuticals and other things. Um, and that, you know, hopefully you're drinking it mostly out of uh, stainless, stainless steel or glass containers so that you're also not getting the uh, plasticizers or other chemicals into it. And, you know, also, of course, that you're not, you could just go, well, I'll just go drink water off the land then. But 
there's it's likely contaminated no matter how much you've tried to maintain your land. And you, then you're still potentially dealing with Giardium, Epiasis, and many other potential parasites or bacterial diseases that you could get. So, you know, ultimately pure water that's non-toxic is critical. So the first principle is make sure what you're drinking isn't hurting you, that it's actually supporting you. And then there's really not a clean cut answer to how much that's individualized. And I get this question all the time, as you can imagine, we're not supposed to struggle this much over this question, to be honest with you, her bodies are really tuned in to the concentration uh, of the solutions in our bloodstream and in our cells. We have many different layers of sensors that are detecting different variables and we'll cue thirst. It's, it's like right after breath, <laughs> you know, it's a, if you don't have air, you can die with, depending on your ability to tolerate, you know, a low oxygen environment where you can die within three minutes or five minutes or 10 minutes. You don't have water, you can die within a few days. Um, and so her body actually, just like with eating, would teach us when we really need to drink. And the truth is that we need to drink when we feel an actual, you know, desire for fluids that our body is saying, hey, you're thirsty. And of course, we know what thirst feels like. I don't need to describe that to everybody. The challenge is just like with eating behavior, um, where we've run after beverages for different reasons. And, that, and I'm not saying not to have a enjoy a cup of coffee or organic coffee or herbal teas or sparkling water just as a pick me up, just as some way of like giving yourself something to drink or getting certain nutrients into your body. And by no means am I saying don't do that. But when we're doing that, not for thirst, but just for other reasons, we're kind of retuning that thirst sensor response. And for people who are used to taking sips of things all day long and then drinking, you know, drinking water in the morning and then having coffee and then drinking more and then having sparkling water. They usually, they, they know this because they urinate a lot. And sometimes they think they have urinary problems, right? Diabetes because they urinate so much, but they're just basically running so much fluid through their system. It's constantly dumping fluid. And they get to a point where they get thirsty if they're not drinking frequently. And so they don't tolerate going out and having to sweat and having to go longer without, without hydration. So that's kind of messing up the system and not allowing us to use our natural abilities to detect that. On the other hand, there are people who neglect hydration. They just don't like to drink a lot of fluids. They're not paying attention to it. And so they don't get up and drink water first thing in the morning when we are most dehydrated after sleeping all night. And then they you know, don't pay attention to how they're feeling throughout the day, even sometimes headaches or dizziness or things like that. Maybe they eat sugar instead of drinking something and they are chronically dehydrated and that is creating problems for them. But it's not, hydration is not just the water, the fluid, the H2O that we need. And coffee has H2O in it, tea has H2O in it, sodas have H2O in it. So there's water in all these things. It's just a matter of what else comes with it. All of it counts towards your total hydration um, you know, target. It's also about the minerals and electrolytes that we would have gotten in ancestral times through our drinking water. Um, that was a part of the deal is that we would have gotten uh, these very important minerals and electrolytes are typically referred to as sodium, potassium, magnesium, and chloride. And uh, we lose these uh, in many different ways, but sweat is a major way that we lose them. 
um, if you're sweating a lot, that's why electrolytes can be so helpful. But maintaining electrolytes are used for a lot of different reasons in the human system. But like one of the most important is to maintain the concentration gradients between blood and cells, as well as the electrical potentials across cell membranes, including the brain. And if you get electrolyte abnormalities, it, it seriously impacts your, um, one, how you feel, um, but two, uh, your state of health. You can get sick very quickly and destabilize. So your blood pressure will be regulated by these things, your heart rate, your heart rhythm, muscle contractions, and maintaining consistent muscle uh, contractional availability, a lot of different things. And so typically when people are getting depleted electrolytes, and this happens commonly because they do filter their water, but they don't remineralize it, they don't use any electrolyte formulations, they just end up drinking pure water and with food not containing the mineral density that it used to have, they end up over diluting their bloodstream. They're getting the water, but they're not getting the, the electrolytes. They get a, electrolyte depleted. And then typically they'll start getting muscle cramps as a real common sign, restless leg type symptoms, just a kind of pains and feeling like you got to stretch and move around. Fatigue, exertional intolerance can't go very far before you just have to stop. Headaches, dizziness, um, also heart palpitations are commonly due to insufficient levels of electrolytes, potassium and magnesium. So there's a lot of uh, symptoms that are, that are coming in for office visits. I mean, I have dozens that I've seen who came in with headaches, palpitations, dizziness, fatigue, or muscle cramps, or even numbness, tingling type symptoms, where after all the appropriate evaluation to make sure it wasn't something really bad, it turned out they just needed more electrolytes and minerals. And once we got them on the proper supplementation path, their symptoms went away. They did not really have serious cardiac problems or brain problems or something else. So it's critical that we maintain that balance of those electrolytes and then really all minerals. Now we'll get additional minerals, you know, so selenium and uh, manganese and boron and um, the, it's a long list, uh, molybdenum and uh, I can't, I'm not thinking of them all, oh, sulfur, iodine, all, all these things. We'll get those minerals through different sources and different areas, diet. But some of them we may have gotten primarily through the uh, groundwater that had those minerals concentrated in it. And so sometimes we really need to work harder to also get the right balance of overall minerals in our body because those minerals aren't just a part of that concentration gradient but they're also uh, used as catalysts uh, in the process of proteins and enzymes getting their jobs done. And some of them are key uh, structural components of some of those proteins and enzymes. And so our body starts breaking down without mineral balance. And of course, they're very critical for bone um, formation and bone growth and bone healing and maintaining bone density. So our balance of overall H2O, regardless of the sources, Minerals and electrolytes is a critical part of how we stay healthy. How, and it's a really critical part of how we actually feel good each day. It's my first go-to if somebody has generally felt good and they're very healthy and they come and to see me, especially if it's, you know, converted here in the mountains to summertime and they hadn't been thinking about that. And now we're in that hotter, humid, high 80s. I know that, Jason, that makes you laugh when I say we get hot. In the <laughs> yeah, we, if we um, could only be so lucky here in Texas. Yeah, 
But, you know, so people are out and they're sweating more and they're not paying attention to it. Or they get a sauna and they start using their sauna consistently. And they're sweating a lot more and they're not thinking about it. And then they come in and they're reporting these symptoms, fatigue, muscle cramps, dizziness, that I can't, I'm starting to play basketball and I feel like after 20 minutes I have to stop. My first go-to is, is mineral and electrolytes. And usually that solves the problem in those cases. All right. So let's say that I don't have a reverse osmosis system. I only have like the filter that's on my refrigerator and I want to start drinking healthier water or like even if it were only that first glass of water in the morning that I'm going to go to. So is it a good idea? Could you possibly go get some distilled water that essentially has had all the minerals removed, I suppose, and start restructuring it, like put some salts or and one of the things I've never asked this question, I've never done the research, but I've always heard uh, people talk about, you know, whenever they are, whenever they're structuring their water, which what I'm, when I refer to that, I'm just saying, you know, they're putting minerals in or electrolytes, whatever they're doing to make their water better, that they have good quality salts. So what is a good quality salt to add to your water? And what could someone do for that first glass of water to make sure that not only are they hydrating, first thing in the morning after after their night's sleep, but they're also getting the minerals right there at the front of the day. What what does that protocol look like? Yeah, and that's a great question because this is one of the easiest things that someone could start tomorrow um, and probably begin to notice a difference in how they feel pretty quickly. And so when you first get up in the morning, you are going to have, uh, you're going to through the process of respiration and just kidney filtration you're going to end up having, most people get up and they have to urinate. They empty a full bladder. That's a lot of fluid that's come off your body that it wanted to dump, but it's also dumping toxicants and uh, excess, um, you know, metabolites or minerals or things that it need to get rid of. Um, and then throughout the night as you're breathing while you're sleeping, you're also ultimately dehydrating yourself somewhat. And so when you first wake up, you're functionally dehydrated a little bit. And the, one of the best things to do, even if you're going to have that cup of coffee, is to go ahead and start with a glass of water. Now, for some people, that could be 12 ounces. For some, it could be 16. A lot of people will go ahead and go with a bigger amount. Now, you might have uh, heart, you know, some of you might have uh, medications called diuretics to control your blood pressure or for some reduced heart function or for a liver issue. And in that case, you're going to discuss this with your doctor because that's a little bit different ballgame that we're talking about when you're already having your fluid balance managed because of a health condition. So we're going to make sure that if, if that's you, then I want you to make sure that you're discussing this with your physician regarding your hydration needs. But even for individuals in that state, they're not going to get hurt by just eight ounces of water. And I wouldn't do distill. I think you can buy containers of spring water that you know are purified, you know, that are pure, or you can buy uh, containers of mineral, like natural water, mineralized water. Um, for people who will pay for it, the Icelandic brand is one of the best low deuterium, you know, like clean, pure waters you can get. And that's a great one. Or you can just buy, as we discussed in the toxic panel, a pitcher from like Epic Water. And you just pour some of your tap water through that carbon filter and you pour that into your glass. And then you have options of what to add. Adding some form of electrolytes will be good for you. A little sodium, it's, we're not talking about a high dose of sodium that's gonna mess up 
again, your treatment regimen, but a little bit of sodium, potassium, phosphorus, magnesium, and other minerals will really help you. Well, how can we get that done? There's a variety of ways to do that. And there's some very good products. Um, the, uh, I, I personally, and I don't even mix this in. I just take it straight up. I am a big fan of the product made by Beam Minerals. That's B-A-M Minerals. And we can put a link with, uh, it is an affiliate link into the code. Beam Minerals are full spectrum mineral complexes and they have two solutions. Uh, they both, what they, they contain what are called fulvic and humic acid, which are natural detoxifying agents that are critical for us. They help in our gut. They detox glyphosate. They're good for our mitochondria and they help deliver nutrients into cells. The electrolyte formula has full spectrum electrolyte support. I have found that people who really deal with muscle cramps get remarkable results with that electrolyte solution. So that's one option would be, okay, I'll get the B minerals and I'll have my half ounce of each one every day, just like it says on the bottle. And you could pour that into your water or you could just take them straight up right around the time you drink the water. And that would be a good way of replenishing minerals and electrolytes. Another great part product, and people call it by different terms, but Quinton or Quinton, some people call it Q-U-I-N-T-O-N, that you can buy through different vendors. Um, uh, the, it's a, they have what are called hypertonic uh, uh, packets or solutions. And this is water that's hypermineralized. It has more sodium potassium. It's actually uh, very pure seawater that they take through a process that's very mineral rich. And that's a very popular product to add in a packet of to your water. And then later in the day, if you're going to go engage in intensive exercise, have another packet. And that can be a really good option. You mentioned LMNT, Element. Um, Element's great. Element is a high sodium product. I do recommend that for people who are going to sweat a lot. I don't know that you need it first thing in the morning, but it's great. If you're going to go engage in sustained activity where you're sweating, 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 um, Element can be a wonderful source of, uh, especially sodium, potassium, magnesium, punishment, and that can be great. There are many available non-toxic uh, electrolyte um, tablets and things that you can drop into your water. You can find those at health food stores. There's a lot of different brands. You just read the label and make sure they don't have sugar and additives and things like that. Now, the easiest thing, though, if you don't want to go buy anything special is you can just add some sea salt to your water. And there are a lot of good quality sea salts. You, there are also bad quality sea salts. So typically in pure organic sea salt. I like the brand, it's not really a sea salt. It comes from mines out of Utah, I believe, but it's called, it might be Colorado, but it's called Redmond's, R-E-D-M-O-D-S. Redmond's sea salt is a great, highly mineralized, uh, pure salt. And you just pinch a little bit in there. You don't make it taste like seawater, you'll get just a slight salty hint on the water. That's all you need, a pinch of that. And for many of my patients who want to keep it easy and cheap, they buy a box of Redmond sea salt and they just simply add a small pinch to their drinking water throughout the day to get back minerals, which I think is a great way to do it. Um, or you can use a variety of these resources. I use the bean minerals every day. I have my whole family do that because of the benefits. And then I might use one of those Quentin packages occasionally if I'm feeling a little bit depleted. So there's a lot of ways to get this done. The sea salt is probably the easiest one. Now, another couple of things that you might consider doing if, if you tolerate them well, or morning concoction, they can add a lot of additional benefits are lemon, ascorbic acid, the, uh, more lemon in the water adds some various health benefits, including some vitamin C. 
So if you like lemon, you could squeeze some lemon in there with your salt. A lot of people might add some apple cider vinegar. You don't have to do that. But for people who, some people, they find that their gut function is better and they feel better if they have a little shot of apple cider vinegar in there as well. And the acetic acid, there are some potential metabolic benefits associated with that. That's the acid in the form of apple cider vinegar. But that could get kind of gross too. Lemon and apple cider vinegar and salt. And that's what I think most people would agree with. Although people who are really into this learn to tolerate it because they, they feel a lot better when they do it. Now, another one of my favorite additives are the hydrogen magnesium tablets where you actually hydrogen enrich the water. I know this might sound cuckoo, but you do get more magnesium as well. But hydrogen ions, free hydrogen ions are incredibly powerful antioxidants that are delivered right through our gut into our bloodstream, right through the cell membranes. And they are powerful mitochondrial antioxidants and they can really improve how we feel and help our bodies recover. And so, you know, we maintain those at the office. We order a specific brand that's got, you know, that have very high parts per million. And you could add a couple of those. So, you know, my personal morning routine is to have uh, about 12 ounces of water along with my bean minerals and to drop a couple of those hydrogen tablets in there and maybe squeeze some lemon in there. So there's, a, there's not a lot of ways to get this wrong other than having toxic stuff and bad quality stuff or just drinking pure, uh, uh, you know, dilute, I mean, not, you know, dilute water that doesn't have any mineral concentration in it whatsoever. One of the things that I wanted to bring up too that I think people need to be hesitant to consume are a lot of these drinks that are coming on the market. Well, there's this, the old, you know, Gatorade. You know, people think that, well, if I drink Gatorade, that I'm getting, it says, I mean, it's advertised, it's got electrolytes and all that. So you got Gatorade and one that I think is even sneakier than Gatorade. I think most people know how to make an educated choice on Gatorade. Gatorade's full of sugar and you know it, it has its place, I suppose. I don't want to bash Gatorade, but whatever. Uh, but it also has dyes. I could go on and on about all the crap that's in Gatorade. But the uh, one that I do think is pretty sneaky is Propel. And, you know, Propel... Um, a lot because I'm a good example. My mom was drinking, buying Propel by the cases and, mm -hmm. and I was drinking Propel and all of a sudden I realized I was getting headaches. I was, um, constipated and my lips were getting chapped really easily. And I didn't know why, cause I'm like, how, why am I getting chapped lips and having what felt like a dehydration headache whenever I'm, you know, crushing all this Propel, which is sugar-free it it comes in a powder form and I'm making my own, like, this stuff's supposed to be really good. And, uh, it's not that good for you at all. And so, um, you know, just, I would encourage the listener just because if you can buy it in mass quantity for a cheap price. And unfortunately, this is what, this is what kind of sucks, Gus, is that anything that's kind of just marketed to the mass public, it just probably isn't going to have the best ingredients. I mean, there's, there's some stuff out there that's okay, but these drinks that people think that if they, that they're trying to get their electrolytes and get that hydration, I mean, personally, I just think they need to really, really check out anything that they're buying. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And learn how to read labels and avoid the things that have the, a lot of the artificial ingredients, ingredients or nanoparticles and things like that. You really don't want to add that stuff into your body every day. And if price is an issue, then just good old remnant sea salt, just a little bit of that, and then flavor it with whatever form of like lemon or lime or something that you like. And then just get used to the taste because you'll acquire a preference for it within a week or two. 
Oh, and I didn't even mention you and I are a couple of, you know, our favorites are just good old, highly mineralized sparkling water that we can buy in glass bottles. So Gerald Steiner, Pellegrino, uh, the uh, Mountain Valley, these are mineral rich sparkling waters. Now you may still need to add a little bit of like, you know, salt and potassium if you're going to go sweat really hard. Um, you may end up still adding that little pinch of salt in the morning. But if you like sparkling waters like me, you could just, you know, have a couple of those throughout the day and you're probably going to maintain a pretty good mineral balance uh, with just doing that. So we don't need to overdo it. We don't need to dump massive amounts of these minerals into our body. That's not how they were designed. And it's really important to note, and that there's a great book, if anybody wants to go down the rabbit hole on this, it's a phenomenal read and it's eye-opening around proper hydration and health. It's called Quench, and it was written by a doctor who took a particular interest in this. Um, Quint, I can't remember the name of the person who wrote it, but anyway, it's called Quench. And there's an audible version if you want to listen. It's really interesting because they studied the desert dwellers, the people who are able to survive in desert environments where there is no water. And they looked at what is their consumption habits and how do they do it. And it's remarkable because you realize that the human body is designed in such a way that they're living in a desert in that type of environment, wearing the type of clothes that they wear, shielding from the sun and moving around in that environment and not get, you know, 64 ounces of water a day yeah. and do, do just fine. And it's interesting. So, you know, a, a real quick and very brief summary is that they, um, you know, that they focus their hydration first thing in the morning. That's the most important time. They set their hydration and their balance then. Then they also use tools that maintain uh, the water density and it's the way that it's taken into cells and utilized. And it was not really the density of the water. It's, it's how it's delivered. So what they'll typically do is take various seeds or plants and they soak them in the water. And then the water gets more of like a gel-like consistency that has a lot of benefits. And so, you know, and, and most people aren't going to go this far with it, but I found it quite pleasant and helpful. You can take organic chia seeds. You don't have to grind them and you can drop them in the bottom of your bottle water or your jar or whatever, and you let it sit overnight and they turn into this gel. They're not seedy. They're not crunchy. And when you, it's, it's almost like one of those like bubble teas or something that kids uh -huh. are so, when you drink them, you have that kind of like gel-like viscous uh, it's not like the whole thing turns into that, but it, it, part of it does that goes down. And I, I personally think it's kind of like a pleasant sensation. Um, and that is really, really good at slow releasing the water over time. So that you're ready, rather than it coming into your bloodstream quickly, and then you just filter it through your kidneys and urinate a portion of it out, you end up slow releasing it. They also emphasize getting their hydration through water rich produce. Now this ties back into, it's got to be organic. It's got to be clean, but the different vegetables, whether it's leafy greens, certainly peppers and onions and all the different vegetables and, uh, fruit like lemon, like just chew, like consuming, like we're eating a third of a lemon or a lime or something like that can actually help you maintain hydration much more effectively. And you can begin to train your body to work with much less and use its system efficiently. So I really like that book. They also get into a lot of the details around how when you sleep at night, the synovial fluid and all your joints, which is the thick viscous fluid that lubricates your joints, how you end up, uh, oh good, I'm glad you're finding it. Yeah, uh, Quench by Dana Cohen and Gina Bria. Yeah, it's great. 
and how like when you get up in the morning and you're kind of stiff when you get older, how all the synovial fluid because of gravity has kind of floated down to the backside of all your joints. And that if you get up in the morning and you hydrate and then you go through a movement routine like we've talked about before, where you're going through full range of motion, you get that uh, synovial fluid moving through the entire joint capsule, lubricating everything, and suddenly your stiffness is gone. So I, the book has a lot more in it than just simply, you know, how to stay hydrated. But it's uh, so I do recommend it. But those tactics and that understanding of the morning piece and beginning to let your body lead you and you don't need to overhydrate but you don't need to underhydrate. Another real quick way of kind of looking at it is through the perspective of your urine. If your urine is bright, bright yellow and you didn't just take a bunch of supplements, especially B vitamins, you know, it's just really dark and concentrated and smells pungent, um, you probably need some fluids. If your urine's water clear, you probably are, you know, you might be a little overhydrated, right? So you know, that's another way. How often am I urinating? What's my urine volume? What's my urine color and odor? I don't mean sit down and sniff the toilet bowl. You can usually <laughs> tell from above, you know, and, uh, and so just kind of paying attention to those signals of thirst. Most of the people that I'm meeting with need to be more intentional about hydration. They need to get up and in the morning have that first bit of hydration and minerals and electrolytes. And then if they're going to go do their intensive workout, they need to add a packet of Quentin or LNMT or extra shot of electrolytes from beam minerals or more sea salt in their fluids and or their sauna and things like that. And they really need to be more intentional about staying better hydrated. But I do have those that are um, overdoing it and just drinking too much. And they usually end up coming and saying, complaining to me about they think they got, if it's a man, a prostate problem. If it's a woman, they think they have diabetes because they're getting up and urinating three times a night. And I'm like, well, is that like you're getting up and you feel like you got to go, but then there's not much there. And it's just like this urgency and there's not a lot of volume in the bladder. Like, no, 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 the bladder's full. I'm like, what? <laughs> you're going to wake up if your bladder's over, like about to overflow, right? That your yeah. body is trying to make sure you don't wet yourself. And, yeah. you, and if you're filling up your bladder completely full three times a night, yeah, probably took in more volume than you needed. Yeah, that's one of the things I had to, uh, I used to drink way more water than I mm -hmm. do now. I mean, I used to rarely go anywhere without a big either jug or, you know, glass of water. I mean, that's just something the gentleman used to always kind of tease me about is I always had to have my water. And now I've kind of ratcheted that back to where it's just more of a balance because uh, for one thing, uh, you know, whenever I started maintaining my sleep much better, then I had to because I was getting up and going to the one, my breathing wasn't very good in bed. So that was, so I was, wasn't getting the oxygen that I needed. Plus I had too many fluids before bed. I always, I always still do this. I still sleep with a glass of water by my bed, but I mean, it was not unusual for me to get up five times during the night and pee. And mm. granted, sometimes that can be due to age and, and everything. And I thought, well, maybe that's it. And, but I, once I backed off on the water and started, you know, tr using some breathing strips and doing some different things, taking some niacin before I went to bed, then, you know, I'll, lo and behold, now I'm able to make it through an entire night without getting up to go pee. So yeah, I, I had to back yeah. off of the water. Yeah. And you made a great segue to breath just then. But last thing I should say though, just in case, cause I don't think we brought it up is that if people are consuming things that have a diuretic effect on their body, then that's going to make them eventually also feel more dehydrated. Um, so caffeine has a diuretic effect. There are elements in coffees and teas that can have a diuretic effect. 
Now, if it's a 16 ounces of coffee, uh, meaning volume, you're probably not spilling out more fluid from the diuretic effect than you actually took in. But you can end up with this combination of a lot of volume and a diuretic and really having to go urinate a lot and frequently, which can be alarming to people. And then alcohol is also dehydrating. And so if someone's drinking alcohol consistently, I, I think most people recognize that they'll have a drink of water between every beverage of alcohol that they have, if they drink water before they go to bed, that they definitely feel better <laughs> than if they do not. Now, of course, they do probably wake up and have to urinate. But there are uh, things that we can take or do that can be dehydrating to us. And we have to be put those into our equation about what are we uh, consuming each day. So one of the things there that's topic for a different day, but uh, I'm going through right now is I'm not having coffee this week. Yeah, you put caffeine down. Do you? You're not consuming any caffeine, are you? Or, very, very little. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't stress over it. Like if yeah. I, somebody gives me a cup of hot tea because I'm yeah. wherever, I don't ask if it's caffeinated or not caffeinated. And I might drink a. There's a Zevia Cola I like when oh, yeah. I just want something, and I think it has like. 30 milligrams of caffeine in it, but I'm not going to it for the caffeine. I can't tell any difference, but yeah, I stopped using caffeine in any consistent basis. And I, I really don't, I, I must never drink coffee anymore because COVID took my taste away for it. Um, and I don't have any caffeine through the morning and, you know. Well, James doesn't drink it. Our, our buddy, James Quandall, he's, you know, off caffeine, but I, Jimlin and I just, we love coffee. I mean, and I love coffee and it's not, and again, for me, I don't notice the effect of the caffeine until I'm not consuming it. And now the biggest difference is I will say it, it's all been a benefit. I mean, I miss just the ritual of having a cup of coffee in the morning. Uh, but more than anything, it uh, it makes me slow down. I'm not nearly as anxious. I mean, my, my I can definitely tell my central nervous system is much more chill. Uh, I carry all of my tension right here uh, over my left shoulder. I mean, it's like a... I mean, like, you know, fishing line back there, just pulling tight. It, and I don't have that uh, because I, I don't have the caffeine in my system. And then so the only thing I drink besides coffee is, you know, mineral water, or spring water, or something like that, or and yeah. almond milk. Yeah. Most people have overused caffeine, most. And yeah. even if you're only having that one or two cups of coffee, depending on the type of brew, it could still have a lot of caffeine. And we do, we create a lot of nervous system adaptations, adrenal adaptations from that continued response. And for most people, they're not getting a lot of benefit and they're getting a lot of downside. And when they wean off and clear it, they can recognize that one, it wasn't making them feel any better. And two, they can notice a dramatic difference in how they feel when they get it. When I used to enjoy coffee, I had already switched us to a half, half, half decaf brew because we have this machine that grinds it. And I would just kind of mix the beans in there. And, and then I would slowly, my wife never even knew, but she loves her coffee. I slowly go with like two bags of decaf to one. So they make really good organic, fresh, like roasted, uh, decaffeinated, uh, you know, uh, beans or the, and you, that's a way to, if you still want to enjoy your coffee, uh, get it and not back down, get back on the caffeine train. Well, I'll tell you why I did it. And that kind of leads into, cause I know it's going to have something to do with breath is, you know, I've told you I've been struggling with my not sleeping. I don't struggle to sleep. Uh, I was there for a little bit, but my sleep scores have been so terrible on my aura ring. I mean, and it's mostly I and, and, and just getting into deep sleep is has been really tough. So I thought, well, I would give 
backing off of coffee a shot. Like, I, let's see what my score was. I think I had, according to the Aura Ring, last night I had only 35 minutes of deep sleep, which is the oh. most I have had in mm. two months. I mean, I'm just getting, I'm not getting to deep sleep at all. Any, and my REM sleep night before last was an hour and a half, which is pretty good. Last night was 49 minutes. Uh, but the, but the deep sleep is the real big problem. And the only reason why I think my sleep score was an 80 yesterday or last night was because I slept for uh, seven hours and 41 minutes, which almost never happens. My my standard, my average is six hours, 30 minutes. I just That's just my, my body. But last night, I, I, and again, I think it's because not having the caffeine in my system, uh, I went to bed earlier and fell asleep right away. So I slept longer, but man, getting into deep sleep has been a real problem. So I thought, well, I'm just going to experiment with everything. So I experimented with backing the caffeine out. So this will be the third night. I think tonight I'll probably, I, I'm hoping, I mean, it's it's going up on that deep sleep. Because like I said, as terrible as that is, 35 minutes is the longest I've had in a long time of deep sleep. Yeah, that, I know you really have struggled with that. Getting rid of caffeine is always one of the first go-tos in those situations. And then- yeah. The brain, because you, as you age, I hate to say, I and mean, I know you're not aging, Jason. No, not at all. I'm, I'm done. Aging. <laughs> but as you, as you age, your brain doesn't concentrate deep in REM sleep as well as it used to. And it does yeah. fall off. Well, I do think something happened, as we've discussed, for you that disrupted, you know, yeah. the, uh, the sleep. And it'll gradually repair itself over time. And there is a, a, a peptide called deep sleep inducing peptide that might benefit you. We can talk about offline, but, um, the, uh, um, you, you really, a lot of the times you just got to give yourself that bigger window. You're going to enter into your deep sleep earlier in the evening. Of course, you're going to concentrate that mostly on the first part of the night, then the REM later in the night. And you're, if you bypass that, that zone of time, you're just going to end up limiting it. Um, the body will conserve REM more than it does deep sleep. And they don't really know why, but it's made them rethink the had the priority. I, I think that they're both very important, and we should strive to get the appropriate amounts of both. Um, but getting to bed earlier, having no stimulants in your system, you know, uh, for the most part, uh, and having controlling that sleep environment is the way to start seeing can you get into that deep sleep sooner and get more of it. Yeah. Well. I'm going to do what I can to try to get that score up. You know, I get a little obsessed over things like that, but this one's just really frustrated me because when it comes to my weight or anything like that, I can always find the the lever to pull, but the sleep one, uh, the caffeine adjustment is my last one. But now that we're going to talk about breath, one of the things I struggle with is that I always have a little bit of a stuffy nose. So Breathing is a real challenge for me uh, because I know that we are meant to be nose breathers. So I don't know where you want to start this conversation, but I think that that to me was probably one of the biggest revelations whenever I started looking into, started with just breath work, and then it became a matter of just breathing in general. Had no idea how, one, how important it is how we breathe, but two, the fact that almost everyone is breathing wrong improperly and and so just kind of where you want to start this gus i guess one of the things you know like again going back to what i said earlier is that 
we're supposed to be nose breathers and most of us are not. And I sure am not. I, it's a real struggle for me to train myself to breathe through my nose. Yeah. So this is critical. Breath is obviously critical. Most people, as you've already reported in the West, at least are improperly breathing and it's creating a lot of health challenges for them that they don't realize. So in this section today, we're going to give you just a primer on proper breathing and a couple of breathing exercises that I think can be helpful. Then there's the whole topic of breath work, which you could do five hour courses on for all the different styles of breath work you can use to modulate your nervous system. And I love them. They're really effective. And we're going to get into some of that content, how you can bring your nervous system up, bring it down, um, all kinds of interesting things that you can do with breath, how you, uh, you know, breath holds that you can begin to train your carbon dioxide tolerance. But for today, what we're covering is the foundational piece, which again, most of the people who I start with, except for those already aware of this um, and have already taken action, like going and doing a breathwork class and not learning step one, which is how to just breathe properly, it's critical. And breath is a habit, just like everything else. It's driven by your autonomic nervous system and the brainstem. So you're, it's not something that, you know, is just purely a habit in the sense that you uh, can, you know, just, you know, you can't turn it off really. You can voluntarily, but only to a point. And if you get it to the point you passed out, then you're going to start breathing again, right? So we know that. Um, but the way you breathe is a habit. Whether you breathe shallow or you breathe deep, whether you breathe slow or whether you breathe fast, whether you breathe through your nose or through your mouth, mostly how you inhale and exhale, that's a habit. And if your habit, for whatever reasons, there's a lot of reasons why this can happen. Maybe some people had allergies. Their nose was always stopped up. They couldn't breathe through their nose and they developed a habit of mouth breathing. Other people, it could be obstructive issues due to the way their mouth and uh, palate and tongue and stuff are formed or their neck size, or if they've got too much weight restricting their diaphragm movement, they could end up having obstructive issues. Um, so there's a lot of different reasons why this may have happened. But if you develop the habit of breathing in and out, mostly through your mouth and not through your nose, well, there's an enormous amount of health consequences to that. And you can't just say, oh, well, then I'll just change to become a nasal breather. You actually have to really work at it. You have to become mindful and intentional. And that's the big piece with the breath, because you're you don't really have to pay attention to it. You're going to keep breathing, but you actually will need to become very mindful about your breath patterns if you want to change them. Just like hydration, the upside of getting this right is so enormous um, and the downside is so like severe. It's really worth the effort to tra transition your breathing. And if you do it in a very proactive fashion using mouth taping and breathing exercises daily and doing breath inventories every hour to check your breathing and how you're breathing and reset that, you can often accomplish this within two or three weeks and get all the benefits. Now, of course, there are a lot of great books. Breathe is one, James Nestor, which goes into great detail and very graphic descriptions of what happened to him when he forced himself to be a nasal breather and all the things that happened, which sounds a lot like why people go to the doctor. Snoring, congestion, shortness of breath, sinus symptoms asthma symptoms, fatigue symptoms, exertional intolerance, sleep apnea, not breathing at night, and then you're not getting enough oxygen. And then you're basically, your nervous system is stressing out all night thinking you're asphyxiating and you're not, you don't realize it and you feel completely depleted. And eventually all these things, what do they lead to? They lead to high blood pressure, higher blood sugar, immune suppression, um, pulmonary changes in terms of uh, your breathing capacities. 
and then eventually heart failure and all kinds of other things, right? So this is really critical that we reset back to proper breathing. I want to emphasize that. That's like foundation. And proper breathing alone will calm your nervous system, lower your blood pressure, improve your oxygen and carbon dioxide ratios and deliveries throughout your body, which will increase your exertional tolerance, will reduce nasal congestion, will reduce symptoms of conditions like asthma. You will feel so much better if you are able to accomplish this. So I'd like to start by just describing what is proper breathing, and then we can talk about uh, some of the uh, strategies you can use if you have some of these challenges. But I'm going to start with just what would it look like if you, you know, can to start proper breathing. And the first thing is to know is that proper breathing is through the nose, really in and out through the nose, but I'm not going to quibble over in through the nose and out through the mouth. There are times where you might do that but in and out through the nose. That's how our bodies were designed. We can actually, as we move the air through our nose, and this is well described in many books, so I won't go into all the details, but we filter and humidify it. That's with all the little hairs and things, and the lining of our nose is designed to do that. We have this high presence of immunoglobulins and immune cells in our nose so that we can pick up on invading pathogens and viruses and things like that so that we can go ahead and eradicate them and protect them from getting deeper into our airway and causing infections and problems. And we have uh, uh, nitric oxide producing uh, receptors and sensors that increase nitric oxide production, which we did a whole episode on and talked about the importance of that so we can improve blood delivery. Uh, it, 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 so it, and that's just a, a short list of all the benefits of nasal breathing. Mouth breathing doesn't give you almost any of those benefits whatsoever. It also dries out your mucous membranes, causes dry mouth, dries out your gums, affects your oral biome. So there's all kinds of bad things to mouth breathing. Obviously, if you're exerting yourself in exercise, there is a point to where you reach the capacity of the amount of air you can move through your nose. And that's when you'll begin to have to involve your mouth. For most people, just taking walks and things like that, they should be able to do that just nasal breathing. They shouldn't have to open their mouth at all. And we are going to briefly touch on how beginning to do most of your moderate exercise, moderate intensity exercise with your mouth closed and just nasal breathing is a great way to accelerate your progress in this area. So first and foremost, we breathe in through the nose and then out through the nose. But again, I won't quibble if it's over the mouth. So it's real simple. I'm going to show you. I'm going to breathe in. For I'm going to do it with you. Well, we're going to breathe in for back to four times. Okay. So not loud and noisy, just real quiet, simple, ready. That's it. In and out through the nose. Now, what I just did was like a four count in, a four count out. That's like four seconds in, four seconds out, a second breath. Okay. Um, that's called symmetrical breathing too, where your exhale matches your inhale. Um, it, and so essentially, uh, and, and you can then begin to work on those ratios again. That's for another day. For now, I'm not going to, again, worry about the, so that was in through the nose, out through the nose. Nice, quiet, easy. We weren't, yeah, we were just like, Now, the next principle of the breathing is into the belly, not the chest. At rest, not under extreme exertion, the main respiratory muscle we should be using is our diaphragm. Right? Now, we don't need to do a lot of chest expansion when we're just taking breaths. We're normal, just maintaining normal oxygenation while we're at rest or having a conversation or walking around slowly or whatever. 
So our diaphragm, our big breathing muscle, is designed to expand down into the belly. It creates a pressure gradient, pulls air into the lungs. It's a very powerful muscle. For most people, it becomes weak and less flexible because it's not getting used properly, and you actually have to retrain your diaphragm. So you focus on putting a hand on your belly and a hand on your chest so that you can feel what's moving. And then you're going to breathe in through your nose, and you're going to actually see can I just move my belly and not my chest? Can I initiate respiration and only have my belly expanding outward and my chest sitting flat? So it's like this. We'll do it for a four count. So I just took that breath without my chest rising or falling at all. All I did was have my diaphragm expand down. I just did it again while I'm talking to you. I'm expanding my diaphragm right now, contracting it. Just moving air in and out while I'm talking to you without my chest moving. Okay? So we got to start really focusing on breathing into the belly through the nose. You're pulling from your belly through your nose. Picture that like this. You're pulling from the belly and it's pulling through the nose. And it feels really relaxing to do this. Like it calms you down. It feels peaceful. Yeah. It feels good. And then, you know, the next level, and I'm going to briefly get there, is when we begin to bring our chest in to create greater volume. Because most people... The chest muscles for breathing and the intercostals all around and between the ribs are also deconditioned. And so their respiratory musculature involving the diaphragm and the chest are deconditioned and it's hard for them to take really good breaths. And so the one, we're not done with the first breath exercise, but we're going to move to one other, which is taking these deep, powerful breaths where we fully exercise those respiratory muscles so we can begin to create these greater capacities. For now, we're going to go back First principle was nose. Second principle was belly. Third principle is slow and easy and not necessarily deep. You don't have to take gigantic breaths. The problem with improper breathing isn't just what happens when you're breathing through the mouth and into the chest. It's that you end up chronically over-breathing, not under-breathing, okay? These people, are, most people are over-breathing, not under-breathing. So they're actually breathing now, I'm exaggerating it. It's, most people don't look like that, but they're, and then their chest is, and they're sitting there and they're getting more stressed because they get an email that bothers them. And so they're like, and they don't know it and they're breathing faster. And now what's happening is they're actually hyper oxygenating their body and blowing off carbon dioxide. And they're getting too low of a carbon dioxide. Over time, what happens is you reset your sensor for respiration, which is based on carbon dioxide. And now if you pause your breath for just a second or some, you all of a sudden are you're short of breath, even though you've been over breathing. And it's actually the most common reason people came to me with shortness of breath, but they were just over breathers. And then I'd explain this to them. They'd be like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. I'm, I came to you for shortness of breath. And it turns out it's just because I've been, they thought they had a pulmonary embolus or some kind of lung disease or something like that. Now, if you have shortness of breath, that can be a symptom of some severe things. So you should go get evaluated. But I would encourage you to work on this while you wait on your evaluation um, of just breathe through the nose into the belly and nice, slow, steady. Don't become an overbreather. And this also, as you reset your carbon dioxide tolerance, you actually begin to release oxygen off your hemoglobin much more effectively and move oxygen and carbon dioxide in and out of your tissues. And your VO2 max goes up, your endurance goes up. Your just ability to maintain higher intensity exercise all goes up. So this is really good in many ways. Right? So what we're going to do 
and through the nose and through the belly and slow with just like the belly. The chest doesn't move at all. The belly expanding just for a four count, not huge, just a little bit. And you're going to realize that you can just take almost like little sips of air into your belly without any discomfort. Now, for a lot of people, when they practice this, they might feel a sense, just a slight sense of air hunger. Then you might have to deepen it a little bit. But over time, you will find you can go further and further. And the way you practice that is just working on your ratio. Maybe to start with, for you, it's three seconds in, three seconds out. Well, that would mean you're taking six-second breaths, which means you're probably taking 10 per minute. That's not bad, you know, but you should be able to get to where at rest. You're just taking four three, four, five breaths a minute, no problem, without even thinking about it. 12, 15 seconds, maybe even 20 seconds of breath, 10 in, 10 out. You know, most people, it might be somewhere around five, six second range. So, you know, um, they'll end up having, meaning that they have five or six seconds in, five or six seconds out. So maybe it's you know, four, five, six breaths a minute, which is great. That's very, very healthy for you. So let's focus and just see what you can do. Nose, tummy, like stomach, chest shouldn't move. If it's moving, you're going to have to work on this. You're just going to keep using your kinesthetic feedback to really you train that diaphragm to move independently and not have your chest engage. And that's going to take 10 minutes of practice maybe every other day for a couple of weeks so you can train how to do that. It's critical that you do it. But let's see, you know, so we'll do it. And I'm going to do six seconds in, six seconds out, okay? Um, you, anybody in the audience? If, if you're driving, don't do it right now. But otherwise... Practice at home, see what you can do without feeling like you got to bring in the chest or you fart and starting to get air hunger. Okay, let's go right now. I think that was around six and six. I don't know. Yeah. Got a yeah. little calming effect too. It's kind of good. Like, uh... yeah. Totally calming. And I, and I, you probably like me, Jason, you probably felt like you could have easily gone 10 seconds in, 10 sure. seconds. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And you so, know, one of the things that I've really started doing a lot, um, and, and well, maybe you, you'll get to this is box breathing. And yeah. so that for to calm myself to, down, I wasn't going to today. I wanted okay. to say box breathing, okay. breathing, Wim Hof breathing is a special episode, Cool, but just so the listeners know, we've made mentioned many times in my book, authentic health that you can buy very inexpensively on Amazon an audible ebook or written form, like hard book form. Or you can download the ebook and audio files for free at ebook.drgusdecree.com. You can have it for free. The chapter on stress and breath describes exactly what I've just walked you through with picture. Okay. So everything we're just teaching you about proper breathing, the exercises for proper breathing, how to exercise your respiratory muscles, and box breathing and additional breathing techniques are all there in a chapter that might be 15 pages. So if you want a written version with instructions, you can download that for free and just read that chapter, or you can buy the book if you want and read the chapter. But it's all right there in that book, Authentic Health. And it's so it's so helpful. It's just like everything else in the in the book. I know I've talked to ad nauseum at this point. It's very just straightforward. And I'm telling you, if nothing else, one of the biggest uh, benefits for me understanding breath work is the the calming of it, cal calming my central nervous system. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I use this for is like, because especially like whenever I was having trouble sleeping here recently, is if I could just lay and just start to really count my breaths and calm myself, it really helped in that instance. And then also mm -hmm. in just some of those 
kind of higher pressure situations. I mean, just breathing does a good job. It really, it really kind of calming you. But I will say that one of the things I really struggle with that I've tried to uh, do more of is the nose breathing in mm-hmm. cardio work when I'm working out, uh, trying to do some. Now, do you ever, and this will probably be for one of our more deep dives, Gus, have you ever looked into using kind of holding your breath at the end of the workout to induce hypoxia to mm-hmm. kind of, okay. So that's something that I just learned, you know, probably about a year ago. I don't do it as much as I was, but like, you know, doing like pull-ups by, while holding my breath at the end of a workout to like yeah. induce hypoxia. Yeah. When, I've, got a, I've actually got an entire outline for the full breath work course that we just need to go ahead and record and make awesome. it Awesome. That takes people through the basic lessons and then the advanced lessons and how to build car- carbon dioxide tolerance yep. and genetic performance and all of those things. And it, once you begin to receive from your body the, the signals it's sending you and properly interpret them, you'll know what you need to do. You'll be able to sense your heart rate and whether it's going up or down and whether you need to calm your nervous system. Or there might be times where you're almost too relaxed and you've got this really important meeting coming up. Um, this is how I feel right before I'm meeting with Jason Wright every time. I'm yeah, really relaxed. I, I got to get together with Jason. Oh my gosh. You know? Yeah. And I, I better get myself on. Yeah. Oh, and you'll get you know, forms of breathing that'll absolutely activate adrenaline and totally increase dopamine and make you go to focused high energy states. But you're, the, to your point, proper breathing calms the nervous system. It balances the nervous system. And proper breathing causes nervous system stress. It's one of the main factors in why somebody might feel restless, unsettled, uneasy, edgy, or nervous is they're just not breathing properly. Then the stressors of the world on top of that. Proper breathing gives you a foundation to work from when things are coming at you and not just simply have your breathing pattern be part of the reason why you're freaking out. Yeah, that's, it, it, it's, it's amazing. And then like whenever, I think it was in, uh, I think it was in James Nestor's book where he talked about just the healing that can come from mm-hmm. just proper breath. Like, I mean, just things that you would never think about that have to do with just improper breathing, not, you know, and it's kind of mind boggling. And so important is breathing that, uh, you know, where I read almost probably more about breath work than in any other thing that I tackle is uh, the Navy SEALs. You know, right now I'm going through this deal. I've told you about this eight weeks to SEAL fit. And that came from reading a lot of Mark Devine's work and watching his videos. You know, he's the creator of SEAL fit, the uh, founder of, of that training program. And Mark Devine, he, he credits so much of his success as a Navy SEAL and becoming a Navy SEAL to first understanding proper breath work, breath work. And he'll tell you, in the high stress situations that they find themselves in as Navy SEALs and as part of Bud's training, so much of their training revolves around calming the mind through breath work. And, you know, it's really and like whenever I'm uh, doing a really high intensity workout now, the first, my first go-to is to try to control my breath. Now that doesn't mean that I'm always going to be able to just keep crushing it at however, whatever level I'm going at, at that time. But when you can start to mentally just create a cadence with your breath, it is an it is a game changer because, like you said, and I know we'll go into this in another course. When you can start to, and it's fun when you when you're wearing a heart rate monitor and you can start to 
kind of manipulate your heart rate when it wants to just throw up. Because a lot of it, and you, you're the physician, you know this better than I, a lot of the time it's your brain kind of saying, whoa, shortness of breath, something's wrong, something's malfunctioning, and then you have to kind of override it, breathe deep to show, just to kind of show your brain, no, look, we've got all the air, all the breath we want. We're just mm -hmm. taxing our body a little bit more and your heart rate will follow suit. And it's, it's really kind of fun. It's kind of a trip to sit there and watch yeah, that happen. And again, for this, what we've just taught you about, breathe through the nose, into the belly, small sips of air, slow and easy. Right now, we're just teaching you how to do it symmetrically. You can change the pacing you're in and out if you want, but it might be easy just to stick with four, four, five, five. Just practicing, like what I recommend you do is first do an inventory on your breathing. And am I breathing through my nose or my mouth? Am I breathing into my belly or my chest? Yeah. What is my breathing pace? And then if you realize you need to do this, then you'll start practicing it. And maybe you'll practice it five minutes in the morning um, just to start your day, to set the pattern. And then once an hour or hour, every hour and a half, whatever works, you set a little reminder, a little bing from your computer or smartphone. Because a lot of times people who are doing desk work are going to be leaned over, posture starting to fall in a little bit. They're getting tired. They're getting stressed. They've been staring at the screen. And then that's where they're like, and they don't know. And they're starting to like, and then I got to go get a donut or something like that. And it's just because they've really constrained, they're, they're breathing improperly and their posture is terrible and there's all this stress. And so stopping and doing, and we're going to be doing a posture biomechanical episode, but, and it's also in the book, by the way, and that is part of the breathing chapter. Um, but basically stopping and saying, okay, am I sitting upright properly? Do I have room to breathe? Can my diaphragm expanded in my belly, my chest able to expand normally? How am I breathing? Okay, I'm going to take one minute and just do, you know, my 4-4 breathing. Just reset the pattern. You just keep doing that throughout the day. You keep doing it. One, you get to retrain the pattern so you don't have to do that. I don't do this anymore because it's just what I do all the time. If I stop and check myself, I'll usually be doing what I'm suggesting to you. But I had to train myself to do it. It wasn't like I was naturally gifted at it or something like that. Um, two, every time you do it, you're going to feel better. You, within a minute of just doing that type of breathing, you'll want to keep going, right? You'll want to go another minute or two because you'll just feel like relaxed and better and just more clear-headed. And if you thought you needed to go get some sugar or some caffeine, you'll realize, no, I don't. I feel a whole lot better. So it's really critical that you start doing this inventory and you start just checking yourself and beginning this simple process of what we just taught you. There is one other thing I'd like to share real quickly that I think could be helpful to do once a day or every other day. And that's just so we can begin to condition the respiratory system. Do we have time for that, Jason? Absolutely. Just take Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So this is your other exercise and this one might feel a little more challenging. Just like before, we're going to start, we're going to be breathing in through the nose and then you can exhale through your mouth and nose or out through your nose or mouth, whatever you want to do. This is about taking big, deep breaths so that we fully um, expand our breathing like we fully utilize our breathing capacity. This is going to be slow and steady, and it goes in three phases. The first phase is we fill the belly up. So we're going to move that diaphragm again. I've got my hand on my belly. I know you can't quite see it, but we're going to fill the belly up first, right? Like we're going to expand the belly, and that's phase one. Then phase two is once we've hit the limit of where the belly goes, you'll come to a stop. You can't pull any more air. We're going to expand the chest. So that's where we'll go. Right. And so we'll expand that chest until we hit our stop. Now, when we hit that stop, there's still a third phase. And this is where it gets challenging. You're going to pull air into these upper, like right around your clavicles and these little recesses, these upper apexes of your lung. 
when you do that, you're almost going to be straining a little. You might even feel like you're wheezing slightly. You might feel a little bit of a burning sensation, a little bit of a discomfort, and you're only going to be able to do it for a few seconds. Okay. So this is what it kind of looks like. I know you can't see me fully, but I'm going to show you real quick. I'm going to breathe out and breathe in and breathe out fully. And now belly, chest. Then this. Dang. Okay. So that was just the inhale. Did you feel it, Jason? Absolutely. Absolutely. Did you feel that little bit of yeah. those burning knees right up in here? Yeah. 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 And now the reverse is we're going to, you can, you'll probably find you can go further than you thought you could. You'll think you've hit your limit, but you can actually go further. But the reverse is to release it in the reverse order, meaning you release from here and then here. And then here, and we're going to do it again here in a moment together. But what you're doing is you're conditioning the entire respiratory musculature, the chest muscles around the lungs, the diaphragm, and beginning to really pull and clear, you know, pull air into all that airspace. There's a lot of dead space where air is just sitting there stagnating. You know, and we want that's why we're going to start with a full exhale and clear it all. And then we want to fill it all the way up. And that's a long, deep heavy breath and we're exercising and for some people who actually have deconditioned respiratory muscles they'll get a shorter breath from this because they're having to send oxygen to all those muscles right that right. are doing thing for them it's kind of an ironic thing you know you're getting shorter breath from breathing so to keep right. that on, that'll over time change and then you're reversing it the other thing that you're gaining is that kind of voluntary control of just using my diaphragm or just using my chest muscles that you're not like having everything have to go together or discombobulate it and so I really love this exercise. You just do it four or five breaths, two or three, if that's all you can tolerate. Once a day is great. It tends to be invigorating, kind of wake you up type stuff. So you don't want to do it right before bed, but you could do it in the morning. Um, it's, it's work. You're going to feel like you're working and you could feel some resistance to doing it, even though it's only going to take you a minute. You might not want to because it does feel like work. This is really valuable to train the respiratory musculature and the sequencing of breathing. And it works very well just to do it every day if you can, or at least like four days a week. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to start doing it because, and the thing is too, that I don't think, I, like one of the things I didn't realize until then, I've never done the actually upper breathing is just whenever you, you know, you think that breathing is just kind of like this one way you do it. You just, but whenever you can like use kind of that elevator approach and you, you still got more that you can bring in. It's like using, so it's kind of weird to even think that, oh no, you're not through. You can keep going. Yeah, yeah I've never done that. All right, we're going to do it again. And then we're going to tell in the same way. Okay. And let's just do it for posterity two times. Okay. okay. All, All right. right. So I'm going to, let's breathe in and out a couple of times and do a full exhale. And then we'll go, I'm going to. All right, let's go.
Pretty interesting, huh? Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. It's just yeah. it's just relaxing afterwards too. That's what I love about it. Yeah. yeah that's, you, that's intense though. It is. Yeah. But it is the best way to maintain your respiratory the conditioning of your respiratory system. With the other stuff, what we're doing is maintaining the pro the habit of proper breathing. We're actually maintaining the proper balances of carbon dioxide and oxygen exchange and kind of keeping those sensors working and so that we keep that all under control. It's really more training the nervous system. With this, we're actually training the hardware, the actual, you yeah. know, structure of that respiratory system. Awesome, man. Well, I think that's that's pretty cool, dude. So I mean, <laughs> folks, go hydrate and breathe. So, Amazing. I, I know mean, I was I was thinking, I was like, we've done this nitric oxide and glutathione and amino acids. I was like, what about air and water? Yeah, you those know? are those are kind of important. Well, you know, that's one of the things I think I don't remember it might have been in uh Breathe where James Nestor said some somebody said like, you know, of all the things that you can live without, mm -hmm. air is the one that you just you you can't live without the it's the, the shortest period of time. You can live without water for a lot of time, live without food. Air, you don't get enough air, you're screwed, you're done exactly and yes. so that that's that's huge all right well guys then people if they'll remember the book because again it's free i'm not trying to make money here it's free but that chapter there's box breathing there's relaxation breathing there's descriptions and the you know posture all that kind of stuff so please feel free to get it and read it or just simply start doing what we taught you in this podcast and it will so look at the show notes it will be in the show notes the link to the book and by the way, if you haven't signed up for the Vitruvian letter, the, uh, please feel free to do that. I, in the most recent one, I followed Troy's lead and I, I cataloged all of these episodes. So people have them all in one place. You can just go and you can literally start looking at this as kind of like a health optimization masterclass. That's what we're trying to bring you guys for free. I mean, with Dr. Gus, I mean, it's pretty, pretty cool. And so. Uh, you can get that there. And maybe what I'll do uh, is just create some sort of a um, a landing page or something where they can get all the episodes. I mean, I think that I want people to have this easily at their fingertips and go through, you know, the, from the foundation of gut all the way through to where we're, where we are and where we're headed. So uh, folks be looking for that. And if you have any, if you have any questions, if you have any suggestions, if there's something that uh, if we've, giving you some information that made you ask further questions, which is not unusual because you will find that the further from shore you get, the deeper the water, the more you think, you know, the less you realize you didn't, you, you knew, uh, at least that's been my, uh, experience. So send it to us, you know, uh, DM me through Instagram, shoot me an email, uh, whatever you need to do. Uh, but, uh, we want to answer all your questions. Yeah. Sound absolutely. good. It sounds good. All right, Gus. Well, thanks for another awesome, authentic Health Friday. Folks, thanks for listening. He's Gus. I'm Jason, and we're out.